leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside Anthony Brown. I am Garrett Bouquet. And uh, we're recording this on a Monday, which is uh, just a couple of days before the end of the regular season. And uh, in most years, you know, a lot of the playoff matches would already be set up at this point so we could break those down. But unfortunately, the standings are so tight in both conferences that uh, it's just not allowing that to happen. So uh, at the end of the episode, we're going to try our best to, uh, you know, at least go a little bit into all the potential matchups. Uh, that could take place in round one. Uh, but first things first, I wanted to uh, kind of go over, uh, since we're right near the end of the season, we've, I think, seen enough games to really be able to value and um, say how good these guys were for the course of the regular season. So we're going to do some awards and all the different uh, um, trophies that are handed out here uh, shortly. So, Anthony, without further ado, what uh, what's first up? <laughs> Well, uh, let's start with the MVP race. I think that's one that most fans are thinking about towards the end of the season. So, uh, yeah, who who you got for MVP this year? So, I think this is one of the the biggest landslides we've had in Mm. the last last couple of years. Of course, the 2016 Steph Curry unanimous MVP was pretty obvious. Right. (laughs) You know, when he led the Warriors to 73 wins. But I've got James Harden. Yeah. Uh, the Rockets have clearly been the best team in the NBA this season. He's clearly been their best player. Of course, adding Chris Paul has given uh, you know him a lot of extra help. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the fact that they're um, you know possibly going to be the only team with 60 wins, Toronto still has a chance to get to right. 60 if they win their last couple games. Uh, but the fact that they're in the 65 to 67 win range is really impressive. Really, only the elite of the elite get to that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has just been phenomenal in terms of his scoring, leading the league in scoring around 30 points per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's got the typical like high assist numbers. He's at uh, his assists are down a little bit again, probably okay. because of Chris Paul from last year. Right, uh, but he's still averaging like eight and a half to nine assists a game. Uh, his uh, true shooting percentage is around 62%, shooting close to 40% from three. That's crazy. Still getting to the free throw line like he always has. Uh, and his isolation numbers have been absolutely insane this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, isolation used to be a part of the game that people would say was a, a negative play. You know, that was generally not something you wanted to do was just play isolation basketball. Mm-hmm. But Houston has completely flipped that on its head. Uh, because, you know, James Harden and Chris Paul are so talented at isolating, not only at hitting the three ball, but getting to the rim and having a mid-range game as well. But then the fact that they spread the floor around the isolation 
gives them so much more room to operate and really makes the defense pick their poison in terms of do you help off a Harden and open up a three-point shot or do you try to D him up one-on-one, which has seemed really kind of impossible this year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would I'd pick James Harden as well. Um, do you, who, who else is in that conversation for you? I mean, LeBron is always up there. Yes. For me. Um, the, the biggest reason I, uh, you know, I don't look at LeBron really in the same category or stratosphere as Harden this season is just the team success. Uh, you know, the Cavs are probably going to get to 50 wins, but probably just barely. Okay. Uh, and I yeah. know that they've had some injury issues. Kevin Love missed some time. JR missed some time. They had the whole issue with Isaiah Thomas and right. him being really horrible <laughs> while he played for him. Uh, and, you know, there were some chemistry issues in the middle of the year. Uh, but LeBron legitimately let those chemistry issues completely uh, sap his game and for a month and a half or so during the middle of the season just did not play at anywhere near an MVP level. Yeah. Uh, now, since they made those trades and got those couple of Lakers players and Clarkson and Nance and added Rodney Hood and George Hill, he's he's been an MVP caliber guy and he's having arguably his best offensive season ever. Wow. Which is really impressive. He's got the same true shooting percentage as Harden yeah. around 62%. Not quite as high of a usage and not quite as high scoring, but he's yeah. averaging more assists than Harden this year, career high, a little over nine assists a game for LeBron. Wow. Uh, so he is having an extraordinary offensive year. Uh, but the the combination of not quite having the team success that Harden has had and that LeBron's defense has really dropped off. It dropped off last year as well, but I would say even more so this year. Mm. The Cavs being 29th in the NBA in yeah, defense, yeah. despite the fact that and they don't have great defensive personnel. Sure. And their coach isn't a great defensive coach either, so it's not all on LeBron, but certainly he hasn't helped. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's good. Um, who are some other people you got on this list here? We got Anthony Davis. Yes. Yeah. Um, ever since DeMarcus Cousins went out, you know, and he went out at about the halfway point of the year, everyone was saying, oh, the Pelicans are done. Yep. You know, they're going to miss the playoffs. But Anthony Davis basically said, well, you know, I don't need DeMarcus Cousins. I'll just average 10 more points a game and five more rebounds. He averaged a 35 and, I believe, 12 for a month. That's insane. Just incredible what he <laughs> has done. Are, like, I'm trying to wrap my mind around those numbers. Like, yeah. Those are like 1960s Elgin Baylor type numbers. And, almost. you know, the... The thing that enticed people so much about Anthony Davis coming out of college was that he didn't have that growth spurt till he was really old and even into high school. He played point guard, I believe, his freshman year at about 6'3", and then he had a growth spurt to about 6'10", 6'11". So he still had some of those guard skills. And that was what was so scary is, oh, this 6'11 freak athlete that also can handle the ball and shoot it. Mm -hmm. and. And really, his dribbling hadn't translated to the NBA level, I don't think, until this year. Yeah. He uh, he started to add more of those two-dribble moves. You know, he would be able to do a pump fake in years past and take a dribble and take a shot or take a dribble and get close to the rim. But now he's, you know, doing crossovers and, and you know, more advanced dribble moves to create that separation. And that has really taken him another level offensively. And, and you know, he's... He slowly but surely improved that jump shot a little bit every year, and he's one of the better mid-range shooters in the league now. 
Uh, so the guy has been phenomenal, and, and of course, with his length and athleticism, he's a terror on the defensive end. Yeah. He had a triple-double, I think, earlier this year with 10 blocks being one of the categories. Jeez, so, you know, he, uh, he has been fantastic, and he really is the reason that the Pelicans are going to make the playoffs. They've had some good contributions from some role players here or there, but really it's because of Davis that they're going to make it. Uh, they they really just have to, I believe, win one of their last two to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they'll be safe. But, uh, yeah, he's he's definitely up there. Uh, another guy that, uh, you know, for a team, one of the, the four teams in the West that are have already made the playoffs, the Portland Trailblazers, Damian Lillard has been great for them. Yeah. Uh, the reason he's not even potentially higher is because he the season started off pretty slow. Uh, in the off season, they lost Alan Crabb, who was kind of an off-ball three-point shooter that spread the floor for the likes of Lillard and McCollum, and they had to trade him for salary cap reasons, uh, basically just give him up for nothing. Uh, so they really struggled offensively dealing with the limited spacing and, uh, you know, not having that real elite shooter that defenses had to pay attention to. Um, but the likes of the role players of Maurice Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu started to hit shots more as the season went on, and that opened up things for Lillard. And Lillard, yeah. the second half of the year, has been terrific offensively. And, uh, again, carrying the Blazers to most likely home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. Wow. When it was a team that I didn't even anticipate would make the playoffs, right. uh, you know, is, is pretty impressive. That's awesome. He must have heard how high I put him on my uh, top 25 players list and right. upped his game. Well, and, you know, when we did that <laughs> list, uh, yeah, you had him higher than I did. I yeah. had him, I believe, like 21st or something, yeah. and you I had him in the teens. Higher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that you know, we did that more. I think in the middle of the year, right, uh, where he wasn't having that, type that of kind of level. Yeah. Um, now I would put him more in the low teens and potentially closer to that top ten range. Yeah. That's how good he has been. Uh, so uh, you know, he's definitely been special. Another guy that you got to mention in this conversation, even though the team success hasn't quite been there, is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Just his numbers are sensational. The yeah. you know. Uh, averaging in the high 20s, scoring around 10 rebounds, like five assists. You know, the what Bill Simmons calls the stocks, the steals and blocks, averaging oh, close to three of those. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Giannis has been sensational, especially in transition. He's just unstoppable oh, yeah. with his long strides <laughs> and his wingspan. Uh, he has been really great. Yeah, the, the only reason, again, that he's not higher is that the Bucks, even though they're going to make the playoffs, are likely a 6, 7, or 8 seed, mm-hmm. um, leaning more towards the 8 seed probably. So uh, it just hasn't translated to enough wins to really um, push him up that ladder. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I wouldn't be surprised, though, in the next few years, him and maybe even Davis, too, creeping up a little bit higher on that mm-hmm. on that list. All right, so that's MVP, and I think that goes right into first-team All-NBA. I imagine we're going to see a lot of the same people on this list here. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because there are a couple of differences okay. and the reason for that is uh, my interpretation of what MVP and first team all NBA is. Okay. And with MVP, I don't really like that people um, you know try to act like there's seven different interpretations of how MVP should be hmm. um, valued. It's it's most valuable player. We know what MVP stands for. Right. So value to me equates to how much value do you have do you have towards your team winning basketball games? Right. Not necessarily uh, best player. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if it was best player, LeBron would have won the last 
10 MVPs. It's right. that simple. But he hasn't been the most valuable player over the course of the regular season. And you're focused on that specific regular season. It's not an award for previous success right. or, you know, legacy sort of value. Mm-hmm. It's that specific regular season. And, you know, people want to talk about the 2016 where Steph won the unanimous MVP and LeBron was clearly the better player in the finals. Right. They're two separate things. Exactly. LeBron was is the best player in the game and showed it in the finals, but Curry was the best player during the regular season and the most valuable to his team. Yeah. Uh, so um, that's why there's going to be a couple of these guys I'm going to mention for first-team All-NBA. I, f- I focus this more on best player. Okay. Uh, as opposed yeah. to most valuable, I think first-team All-NBA is, okay, who are the, you know, I, I know there are some positional things. You've got two guards, two forwards, and a sure. center. But my thought is, who are the top five guys this regular season sure. uh, based on those positions? And second team, you know, six through ten, and third team, you know, yeah. 11 through 15. So uh, now that we've kind of um, assessed, you know, what I'm looking at here, the, my first team All-NBA, I've got Steph Curry. Even though he's only going to end up playing about 51 games this year, okay, uh, this has been probably Curry in terms of his uh, when he was actually on the floor. This has probably been his second best season of his career wow. outside of that unanimous MVP season. Right. He's been that good when he's been healthy. He's just had a, a few injuries here or there that have sapped him of a bunch of games, but he's been the best point guard in the game. Uh, you know, when he's been out there. So he's my first team guard. My other first team guard is James Harden, you know, my MVP winner. Right. Uh, and, you know, I've already talked about him. Uh, and then we've got LeBron, uh, of course, at the yeah. at the forward spot, and Giannis. Uh, okay. And then at center, I've got Anthony Davis. So I've mm-hmm. got four of my five uh, guys in the MVP are in the first team All-NBA, All-NBA. But Steph Curry's in there, and he's not there for MVP because... When you miss that many games, yeah. you're, pro- you're not you don't have as much value to your team, right? Especially when you're that team is still one of the best teams without you <laughs> not there as much. Um, but yeah, I I I like this list. I, I would agree with this list. Okay, so that's first team: mm-hmm. Curry, Harden, James, Giannis, and Anthony Davis. So second team, who do you got? Okay, so. Um, I've got the other guy that was in my MVP uh, ladder, which is Damian Lillard, as one right. of my first guards. And then I've also got Chris Paul. Okay. Uh, a lot of people might not like that as well, because he's only going to end up playing prob- less than 60 if he plays the last couple of games, which he might not, because Houston might rest their, their guys. Right. Uh, he, he could get up to 59, uh, but he could be as low as 57. And again, like Curry... Even though he hasn't played a ton of games and he doesn't necessarily then have the MVP value, uh, you know he's been excellent when he's been on the floor. The Houston yeah. Rockets have still only lost three or less games when the likes of Chris Paul, Harden, and Capella have all played together all season. Wow! Uh, and he's averaging you know close to 18 points and uh, you know eight plus assists as well. He's just been terrific for them, and the fact that they've been able to stagger Harden and Paul has allowed. Uh, you know their minutes has allowed both of them to handle the offensive duty and and do what they do best for the significant portion of the game. Even though you know there are going to be minutes where they're playing together, right? Uh, but he has been fantastic, and he of course he's a great defender as well. Uh, he might be the best uh, guard defender out mm. of the four guys I just mentioned on first and second team. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know that also factors that. in as well. Uh, then you've got Kevin Durant. 
you know, he's missed some games this year as well, but uh, he's been excellent as usual on the offensive end of the floor. I think his defense is pretty overrated. Uh, you know, he's he's averaged mm-hmm. a decent amount of shot blocks. Yeah. Uh, but that rim protection, people just equate that as, oh, he's excellent now. <laughs> when he still has a lot of missed assignments, he gets beat back door. Right. He doesn't get back in transition all the time. And, and a lot of that is just, I think, due to the Warriors just kind of going through the motions during the regular <laughs> season after, right. you know, ma- you know, a long finals run, and for Durant making it the conference finals the year before that with Oklahoma City. So it's been a, a, a lot of basketball over the last three years, even for Durant. Oh, yeah. Uh, and especially for all those Warriors players. So their defense has, has gone down a notch, and that's probably why Durant isn't in more consideration for that first team, even sure. though I think he's a better player than Giannis. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think this season Giannis's defensive effort uh, has been more impactful Mm-hmm. Uh, for that Bucks team, and even though the Bucks, you know, again are going to get the eight seed, they'd be nowhere near without Giannis. They've right. been a a below average basketball team, maybe uh, sometimes significantly below average oh, without man. Giannis on the floor. Yikes! Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so and then we got? yeah we've got another forward and center left on the second team. I've got Lamarcus Aldridge at that right. other forward spot. The Spurs. Yeah. Uh, you know the fact that Kawhi's only played nine games this season, and yet the Spurs are still going to get close to fifty wins. Uh, you got to get a lot of credit to Coach Popovich, but then also to Lamarcus Aldridge. He's really been the focal point of the offense, and the fact that the Spurs have still been a top five defense mm. without Kawhi Leonard. You've got to wow. give a lot of that credit to Aldridge as well as one of the, the back lines of their defense. Uh, yeah. So he has had a terrific year for, uh, I assume, a team in the Spurs that as long as they you know, win one of their last couple of games, will get in as well to the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, so Aldridge is there. And then at center, uh, for my second team, I've got Joel Embiid. Uh, you know he's one right. of the leading candidates for defensive player of the year. He's been terrific, and Philly has been terrific on defense when he's been on the floor. Uh, his offensive game is getting better and better. Uh, he's he's really gotten better at the post up and passing out of the post. Uh, his three point shot is still kind of lousy. Uh, he probably takes too many threes, but yeah. uh, the fact that he's even capable of hitting those, you know, shows signs that. Yeah. Uh, if he develops that over the years, that could be a really good threat for him as well. Uh, but he's a really good mid-range shooter already. So he's he's got a really well-rounded game and has been uh, one of the key reasons why Philadelphia's had such a surprise season and potentially make it all the way up to the three seed in the East. Yeah. All right, so uh, third team. The guard spots on third team, uh, I think the the possible candidates left would be the likes of Kyrie Irving, Russell mm. Westbrook, Victor Oladipo, and DeMar DeRozan yeah. would probably be the top four guys there. Uh, and I'll start with Kyrie Irving. I think he has been uh, pretty terrific on Boston. He has upped his three-point attempts. He's upped his efficiency. He's uh, he's improved his passing, and he's even improved his defense for the Celtics as well. Yeah. He's also been incredible in the clutch this year for Boston. Uh, so, uh, you know, he, to me, is the probably the best player out of all of these guys mm-hmm. getting in there. Uh, and then, uh, at least for this season, I'm sure, talking. Sure. And then uh, you've got, uh, and then I also have Victor Oladipo in there. I mean, he's been, he's been the biggest surprise this season. We're going to talk about him in the uh, Most Improved Player uh, Award later on. Uh, but he has been absolutely phenomenal for them. The Pacers were, by most projections, going to win around 30 games this year. They're going to win close to 50. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and really, it's been all about Oladipo. 
Uh, he has averaged around 23 points a game and has also played really solid defense. In the same way, I gave Paul some credit being on that second team all NBA because of his defense. Oladipo, out of the four guys I just mentioned that were uh, in the race for that second team, is the best defender. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you got to give him credit for that as well. And the fact that, um, you know, he has led the Pacers to, uh, you know, a top five seed in the Eastern Conference is impressive as well. Uh, so Victor Oladipo makes it, which means the likes of Russell Westbrook and DeRozan yeah. don't make it, which would surprise a lot of people. I imagine you're surprised by that as well. I mean, you make a really good argument for why those uh, Irving and Oladipo should be third team over them. So, um, but yeah, I, I would imagine a lot of people listening might be thinking like Russell Westbrook, uh, you know, he, he's coming off of that triple-double season last year, and we've We've talked at length about you know what we feel about that with the triple double and whether <laughs> yeah. he should have gotten the MVP. But uh, I believe he's close again this year, right? That is, um, what is it? His uh, yeah, rebounds aren't quite at that ten, but they're still up there. They're within one or two essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, so statistically, still pretty up there. And DeRozan with uh, the Raptors, right? He's had a really good offensive year. He's Averaging around 23 points a game. Yeah. Uh, his effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, isn't that high because, yeah. again, even though he's upped his three-point attempts, he doesn't take a lot of threes, takes a lot of tough mid-range shots. Right. So, um, you know, his 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 true shooting percentage is in that low 50s range, which is also kind of where Russell Westbrook has been this year. Okay. And that's one of those things that you talk about the difference between Westbrook, who I would have had first team last year, All-NBA, versus this year. It's not that I care as much that he has one less rebound or whatever. It's more about that true shooting percentage. Last year he was up. This year he's down towards 52. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's just not shooting the ball as effectively. He also got off to a really rough start. Uh, So it's, it's tough, like... You know, if you if you factor in Russell Westbrook from the start of this new year on, he's probably in third or even second team. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that you got to factor in the entirety of the season, which includes when he got off to a really terrible start to begin the year, you got to include that because it's an entire season award. Right. Uh, so that's why I have him just missing. And DeRozan also and Westbrook, I should say, are uh, you know. Not great defensively. Uh, Westbrook more because he gambles. It's not as much about his ability. DeRozan, not super quick uh, laterally, so he's not a great defender either. He's not extremely strong to guard the bigger guys as well. Uh, So neither of them are big pluses on the defensive end, so that's probably why the the combination of, you know, average to below average defense with the, you know, not super effective shooting, even though they score a lot of points uh, on a high volume. Yeah. And I, and I I don't want to make it sound like I don't agree with what you said. I think Kyrie Irving's done a really uh, incredible job with Boston this year. I I, I mean, it, it, I think there were a lot of questions around Kyrie Irving on what he was going to do because we've only really seen him with a bad Cavs team before and then with LeBron, you know, going all these finals. So now he's on his own again with a brand new team and then, you know, Hayward goes down again in the season. Yeah, I would, I'd agree with him at third. Yeah. You know he's he's had a great year, but then you know there's there's all these things that happen throughout the course of the NBA season. I'll talk about how these last couple of weeks have affected when we get to Rookie of the Year in a little bit. How mm-hmm. that's affected my thoughts on that. But even Kyrie, I've uh, I started to question whether he should be third team with this most recent run by Boston at the end of the year. You know he's been hurt and he's going to miss the rest of the season. Boston 
has actually gone on a pretty good run without him here at mm. the end of the year. So it's kind of like, oh, well, well, how much of this winning is actually due to Kyrie? Or is sure. it this system? And, you know, when he's out there, he obviously helps. But is he more of a guy that elevates a playoff team as opposed to elevating mm. a regular season team? Yeah, that's that's a really good conversation to have, yeah. Um, so... So we have Irving and Oladipo at the two guard spots for the third team. My forward spots, I've got Jimmy Butler. Uh, He Mm -hmm. has basically, him and Taj Gibson have single-handedly, you know, turned Minnesota into a, from a 30-win team to a team that if Butler hadn't been hurt for the last several weeks, probably would have won 50-plus games. Uh, So his defense, his scoring ability uh, has been pretty incredible for Minnesota, and he's a really valuable guy. Uh, and Minnesota is one of those teams that's still on the verge of, uh, you know, they, they've got to win probably one, if not both, of their games. They actually play Denver the final game of the regular season. It's Denver at Minnesota. Oh, wow. And that game could decide if both teams win their final or their, their second-to-last game, that game could decide who gets in. So wow. Butler is back, though. So the fact that Minnesota's at home and they should be at relatively full strength, yeah. I would probably give the edge to Minnesota if it comes to that. Uh, but it'll be certainly a fun game to watch. But Butler has been terrific. Uh, Paul George for Oklahoma City uh, has been terrific on the defensive end. He Last I heard, he leads the NBA in deflections. I don't know if that's still the case, oh. but uh, he's one of the league leaders in that. Uh, really long arms and really good defender, and they've especially needed his defense after Andre Robertson tore his ACL and missed the rest of the season. Uh, So he's been really valuable on the defensive end. And then offensively, uh, for most of the year, he shot the ball extremely well, was shooting a career high, I think 42% from three. Has cooled off a little bit, but still is going to shoot in the high high 30 percentile from three-point range, averaging around, you know, 22 points a game. So he has been, uh, he has been pretty good. And um, you know, the the Thunder are probably going to win around the same amount of games as they did last year even though Westbrook's worse, and I think a big reason for that is that they have Paul George. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Okay, so those are the four words, and then uh, center. My third-team All-NBA center. This was probably the toughest pick out mm. of all of them, but I'm going with Rudy Gobert. Okay. And again, same same thought process in terms of why I have Curry on first team and a guy like Chris Paul on second team is even though Gobert has missed a lot of games, and I think he's only going to end up playing around 56. Okay. Uh like if your if your logic is Curry can get in with fifty one, you know Gobert's got to be able to get in with fifty six. Right. He's been the best defender in the NBA during those fifty six games. Yeah. Uh, and he has completely turned this Utah season around. When he finally came back, Utah was nine games under five hundred. Now they're about uh, you know fourteen games over five hundred with a wow. couple of games left. Uh, he has been absolutely. Uh, terrific, and uh, David Locke, the announcer for the Utah Jazz, actually talked about how he thinks Gobert is a top ten player in the NBA hmm. because the uh, you know the the conventional wisdom is that offense is more important than defense, right? right. And the reason for that was because you know the uh, the best offensive guys improve their team's offense more than the best defensive guys improve their defense, right? Yeah. Uh, and usually it's like a 10 points per game difference between a you know an average offense and like what James Harden and the Rockets are doing or right. what, what LeBron is doing. But Gobert, the difference between the second best defense and the the best defense in Utah since he's been back is 10 points a game. 
Wow. It's around 190, I believe 94 to 104 per 100 possessions. Uh, wow. So, and that's not 10 point difference between the best defense and the average defense. Yeah. That's the best defense and the second best defense. Wow. So, you know, when you factor that in, Gobert to me is uh, has got to get that edge in third team All NBA and the guy that I'm uh, that I was really debating about because he's been terrific offensively is Carl Anthony Towns. I was going to bring him up. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that uh, has great true shooting percentages. He shoots 40% from three, scores on the post better than just about anybody in the NBA. Uh, he just doesn't get the ball enough for Minnesota. Yeah. Too often Andrew Wiggins is taking shots. And, and that's that's another, I think, differentiator is nobody's taking away value from Gobert defensively because... He's out there. He's in, impacting every possession. Right. Whereas Carl Anthony Towns, you know, yes, him spreading the floor helps the offensive spacing and everything, but the fact that he isn't getting the ball as much as he should lowers his value in terms of how great he's been offensively, and he has been terrific. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Carl Anthony Towns is kind of in that honorable mention stage there. Uh, Al Horford, is that another? Yeah, he's, I mean... The Boston Celtics have been one of the best defenses right. in the NBA. They've also been a terrific offense when the likes of him and Kyrie Irving have both been on the floor. He's had a perfect partnership with Irving in terms of the pick and popping, being able to hit 40-plus percent from three, and also being able to handle the ball and pass it as well. Uh, he's just a guy that's good at all like facets of the game. He's right. not great at anything, mm-hmm. but just having that at the, uh, you know, at the, um, as your anchor man on defense and as one of your key playmakers on offense, he's been so crucial, especially with Kyrie out. He's been so crucial to Boston, continuing to win ball games and be the second seed in the East, which is you know not easy to do, even though the Eastern Conference maybe is a little bit weaker than the West. Right, right. Okay, well, so uh, I wanted to talk about Defensive Player of the Year next, and we already kind of covered that a little bit with Rudy Gobert, but... Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on that race? Yeah, and again, I would say, you know, defensive player of the year, I'm going with best defensive player as opposed to most valuable. Okay. Uh, and uh, that's why I would give it over to Gobert over a guy like Joel Embiid. But because Embiid got that uh, injury recently where Markel Fultz ran into him and broke, I believe, an orb- orbital <coughs> bone, uh, you know, their, their minutes are going to be pretty similar. Uh, Embiid at the start of the season was on a minutes limit, so even though he's going to end up playing more games, the minutes aren't that much different. So given that and the fact that guys like Draymond Green have not been nearly as good this year to really be in consideration, Kawhi Leonard has been out, uh, and right. the center position is so impactful in terms of not only um, you know lowering teams' field goal percentage at the rim, but then also convincing them to take floaters and mid-range shots instead of shots at the rim. Gobert is easily the best in the league at both of those things. Yeah. Um, are there any other, uh, I'm thinking like Joel Embiid, you know, that yeah. maybe put him in that conversation. But, yeah, I'd agree, not over Gobert. Right, Embiid definitely, you know, the Sixers have been one of the best defenses in the NBA this season. And, and yes, his ability to, uh, you know, block shots at the rim, intimidate shots at the rim, and also, you know, <clears throat> a thing that goes... Uh, you know, a little bit under or unnoticed about these guys is for how big of me, of human beings they are. Right. The fact that they're not terrible going out on the perimeter, and if they have to, uh, to defend. You know, they uh, you know for guys that are seven plus feet tall and that long, 
uh, and that big, it's impressive that they uh, they can handle themselves on the perimeter better than you know certain certain centers just get run off the floor any time oh, a yeah. team puts them in a pick and roll. Those guys are so good that they can stay out there. I remember Embiid in the All Star game near the end of the game. Uh, you know he got uh, he was playing there on defense and the. LeBron's team was going extremely small. He ended up switching on to Paul George on the perimeter at the end of the game. Oh, wow. And Paul George drove on him, and Bede came from behind and blocked it. Uh, you know, that ability is so in- crucial as well because it's not just about being able to shot block. It's about being able to stay on the floor under any circumstances. And both of those guys, for the most part, um, you know, except for maybe against Steph Curry, might be the or Damian. L- no, pretty much only Steph Curry right. <laughs> is the only example of a guy that maybe makes it hard for them wow. uh, on the defensive end on the perimeter. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's defensive player of the year. Um, what do we want to go into next? Um, let's see. How about rookie of the year? Okay. Uh, this has been. Basically a two-man race the entire season, even though there's been three, um, you know, real exceptional rookies. But it's been Ben Simmons versus Donovan Mitchell all year, yeah. and a lot of it comes down to what you value. Hmm. Uh, Donovan Mitchell averaging about four to five more points per game than Ben Simmons. He has a higher usage, but slightly lower, uh, you know, uh, field goal percentage. Uh, he's got the three-point shot in his arsenal, so he is probably a more effective off-the-ball player as well. Uh, but then defensively, Simmons has a little bit of an edge as of now because of his size. He's actually been a really surprisingly good defensive player this year, Simmons. Nice. But then also Simmons is rebounding and his passing. Simmons averaging about 8.1 rebounds and 8.1 assists per game. Uh, the fact that he gets his teammates involved and does all those things, uh, besides the scoring uh, that Mitchell doesn't quite have a grasp on yet, uh, I've got Simmons with a slight edge there. Okay. I value that all-around game a little bit more. Than that um, edge. Okay. But uh, it, it is interesting to think about, uh, you know, do you give Rookie of the Year again to best player? I, that's kind of where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, right now, I think Ben Simmons is the better player right now. But if you talk about, do you give Rookie of the Year to the guy that you think will be the best player in five years? Mm, okay. uh, because if that's the question, maybe Donovan Mitchell gets it because... There are still like huge question marks over Ben Simmons's jumper, and right. whether he's going to you know ever become good at shooting the basketball. Whereas Donovan Mitchell already uh, you know at least an average three point shooter, and uh, you know will hopefully progress into a really great a- a three point shooter uh, in the years to come. Yeah. So you know there's there's not as big of a weakness in Donovan Mitchell's game as there is in Simmons's. Yeah. And I, I like what, sh- uh, what you're saying there with this award. I think it should be the best player now mm-hmm. for that rookie year. And then later on, I'm trying to think in my mind, like, what other people didn't win rookie of the year but ended up being, like, tr- tremendous players later on. Right. You know, um, yeah, um, that's, that's a really good point. But then so, there, there's the other question, too, in terms of, you know, people are stating that Ben Simmons is the better scorer because he has the better field goal percentage and you know true shooting percentage but to me you know you got to factor in the volume scoring you know the fact that donovan mitchell is pretty much the number one option on the utah jazz offensively uh you know he has to take more tough shots he has to just 
take sometimes inefficient shots and just be a volume scorer for them right. to win basketball games. Whereas Ben Simmons can more do kind of what LeBron did in Miami, which is pick his spots, only take the shots that he knows he can make, uh, and you know he has the other guys around him, the shooting and the scoring and the post-scoring with Embiid and, and the playmaking of guys like Saric, uh, that he doesn't have to go outside of his comfort zone to take shots, whereas Mitchell occasionally right. does just to keep Utah afloat. Uh, you know, you look at, like, Allen Iverson on that 2001 right. Sixers team. The reason they made the finals, yes, he wasn't extremely efficient, but he could score points in an inefficient manner, and sometimes just that has value. Right. you got to be able to put the ball in the basket to have a chance to win a game. So, yeah, I would, I'd agree with that. Okay. So, like, uh, yeah, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Would you prefer the guy that maybe... Um, has the higher scoring ability, and and a lot of this kind of you, you're talking about a little bit of the Jordan Lebron discussion. Mm. Whereas, and again, I'm I'm not suggesting that either of these right. guys are those or anywhere <laughs> close. Now, now I'm like, okay, so rookie Jordan versus rookie Lebron, <laughs> go. But that, we but, could have a whole episode on that. But you would almost equate Donovan Mitchell more to the Jordan where. He doesn't have necessarily the passing at a young age right. or quite the rebounding, but he's scoring more, maybe slightly less efficient from a true shooting perspective right. versus the Ben Simmons who I would equate more to a LeBron type of player that you know gets the assists, gets the rebounds, still scores but not at quite a high of level. Yeah. Um, I guess the the big difference though is Michael Jordan shot uh, more efficiently, more efficiently than than, uh, than a rookie Donovan Mitchell, right? And I think scored more right. per game. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that that is a really. Hmm, I'm I'm like trying to digest that right now, like thinking about that. I I feel like I would still take Ben Simmons, even though it's really close, um, and I probably would have to go and look at the the rankings of each team and, and see the team success as well. Well, and they're both, um, right now, the Jazz are in the four spot in the West and the, the Sixers are in the three spot in the East. So right. both teams have so. had pretty good success. And they both have, you know, centers that are probably the best player on the team right. in terms of Gobert and Embiid. So it is an, an interesting case. It is. It really is. Um, wow, wow. So, like, yeah, going with rookies then, what's the all-rookie first team we've got obviously mitchell and ben simmons the other obvious one is jason tatum okay. he would be third on my rookie of the year list okay uh and he has just been at rock solid for the boston celtics all year long uh, shooting the three ball at a high percentage even creating a little bit he can post up and score in the mid-range as well occasionally gets to the basket and has played pretty solid defense as well He's just been, you know, about as good as Boston Celtics fans could have hoped for out of a 19-year-old guy <laughs> uh, that played one year in college. He has been sensational. He just hasn't really ever been like the number one option or the number one playmaker on his team. He's been more just a, a really good role player, whereas, yeah. you know, Mitchell and Simmons, I feel like, have been more keys to their team's success. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Jason Tatum certainly has had a terrific rookie year and has a really promising future. Uh, another guy, uh, you know, he's been criticized a lot, Lonzo Ball. I was waiting uh, for his name to come up. Yeah, yeah. he uh, he started the season just shooting horribly from three, was one of the worst shooters, just field goal percentage and three-point percentage-wise in the entire league. But his three-point shooting has picked up significantly since that first couple of months 
uh, shooting a lot better, which is crucial because that's kind of the key to his success. If if he can be that playmaker, but then also the spot-up shooter, and, and also if he's running a pick-and-roll and teams go under, if he can knock down that three, that's, that's really huge for him right. to become the player that the Lakers hope he can be. Uh, but he's also been a solid defensive player. He's got really good size at that point guard position, so he's able to switch pretty well across even one, two, or three. Uh, and so, you know, he's been solid on that end, and of course his passing has been as good as advertised. Right. So, so he's a guy that uh, is that I believe deser- is deserving of that first team. And then also Lowry Markinen, who was the seventh pick of the Chicago Bulls, one of the pick they got in the Jimmy Butler trade. Okay. Uh, he played for Arizona in college, a seven-footer that can really shoot the basketball. Uh, and he is really impressed, not only in terms of he's a better rebounder than I, than I anticipated, uh, but he's also got a better off-the-bounce game. And, uh, you know, he can score in a variety of ways better than I thought. He's also got an extremely quick release. So him on the pick and pop is a really difficult thing to guard as the yeah. opposing team. And, you know, he's got the kind of the Dirk release in terms of shooting it high over his head. Mm-hmm. So it's really impossible to block at that size. So he's been a really promising rookie as well. That's awesome. Wow. Okay, so that's first team. Who do you got for a second team? Okay, so this gets a little bit more challenging, but the rookie class is pretty good this year. So yeah. uh, at, uh, at the guard spots, I have De'Aaron Fox. Uh, who was the number five overall pick by the Sacramento Kings, a guy from Kentucky. He's been pretty good. Uh, You know, he, um, I think most rookie point guards aren't positive players, and I don't believe he has been one. But in terms of, I mean he's been good in terms of showing signs that he's capable of becoming a franchise-level point guard, a top-ten point guard in the league. He's got that explosiveness. He's got that mid-range game. Uh, he's he's got to work on that jumper and continue to improve. But a guy like Mike Conley, I think, is a good example of mm-hmm. a comparison in that he came into the league, you know, showed some flashes in terms of being able to get to the hoop and having a mid-range game. But uh, you know, it was just until he fi- figured out that jumper until he became a real positive contributor and an all-star caliber player. I think Darren Fox has that ability if that jumper comes along like Conley's did right. to get to that all-star level. Uh, so that's a positive. And then his other backcourt partner, both of these guys from the Sacramento Kings, both yeah. rookies, Bogdan Bogdanovich, a European guy. Uh, they got in a trade. I forget what the trade was, but they acquired him in a in a trade package. And he has been, uh, you know, he has been pretty solid. Uh, you know, he's a guy that uh, has got pretty good size. He's got a pull-up game. He can hit the three. Uh, so, you know, he's he's been uh, a, a real promising a player for the Sacramento Kings, and you know they've, even though they've been pretty bad this year in general, they've got at least a somewhat promising future. Right. They probably need another franchise level, like small forward type, to really um, fill out the roster. But they've got a really exciting backcourt for years to come. That's awesome. The uh, the forward positions I've got OG Ananobi. Uh, you know, he plays limited minutes, but the fact that he starts on Toronto and that team is going to win close to sixty games. Uh, you know, and he hasn't been, he's been a, um, you know, contributor at times. His jump shot has been on and off. He started the season really hot from three, has cooled off since then. Uh, but just the fact that he has shown he's capable of hitting threes is a good sign. He's also shown some defensive promise, and also he's gotten better athletically as the season has gone on. The reason I think he dropped all the way to 24 in the draft was in large part 
due to the fact that uh, you know he tore his ACL in college, and most teams yeah. thought he wasn't even going to be available for the entirety of this season. But the fact that he came back at the start of the year and has played the whole year has been impressive. And yeah, you've you've noticed that the longer it's been since that ACL tear, the more explosion he has shown. So that'll be something to look out for even next year as well, which is, you know, another reason why, you know, I might include him even though there might be a few guys that have done more this season. I think he's a guy in five years that you'll look back and say this is one of the top maybe six or seven rookies out of this class. Uh, So, you know, he's, uh, he's a guy that is such a valuable commodity in terms of a potential lockdown defender at that wing spot. So, like, every team in the NBA wants those guys. Yeah. Wow. Uh, The other uh, forward, I've got Kyle Kuzma of the Lakers. He's been one of the more impressive offensive players. His defense has been atrocious, but when you're talking about all-rookie second team, if you're great on one end of the floor, you're probably going to get on one of the teams. Right. Uh, He has been been pretty sensational offensively, uh, including hitting the three ball. He's got a nice, uh, you know... um, in between game as well, he's shown some sky hooks, some runners. He's got a little bit of everything. He's got a very nice offensive package in terms of his skill set. So he's he's another guy that is deserving of the the second team. And then the final guy, I've got uh, Bam Adebayo of the Miami Heat. He's okay. a guy that just looks like he could become. And he already, at times, is a suffocating defender defensively in terms of protecting the rim and also switching out and being able to guard on the perimeter. Uh, he shows just dynamite athleticism at times and is uh, is a really good player. I think he's a guy that could become you know, a top-10 center of the league just through shot-blocking, rebounding, and rim-running and you know, catching lobs, that sort of a player. Right. I think he could become a lead at all of those categories, which makes you extremely valuable. That's awesome. All right, so that rounds out the rookies there. Um, let's do uh, sixth man of the year. Okay, so I've got, uh, and this is another one similar to the uh, uh, to the MVP that I think is is pretty obvious. I think okay. I've, uh, Lou Williams is going to win this award pretty easily, averaging over twenty points a game. Pretty efficient shooting. Again, not a good defender, but his offense has been at such a high level. He's really been one of the key reasons the Clippers have stayed in the playoff hunt, even though they've been eliminated. But uh, he has been terrific shooting from three. Uh, You know, he used to be a guy that could only go left, and he was, uh, you know, he had this really unique skill where he could be dribbling at full speed going left behind the three-point line and fade as he shoots and still knock it down. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, he's kept that skill, but he's also added the ability to go right to keep defenses a little bit more (laughs) off balance, Mm -hmm. which has really opened up the entirety of his offensive game. He's he's been terrific offensively, and and again, you know, uh, he's also started quite a few games because of all the Clippers' injuries, Uh, so... uh, you know he's been he's been a key factor in them being a, an above 500 team. Uh, another uh, couple of guys that I think are in consideration: Will Barton for Denver. Uh, he's been terrific as a sixth man scoring punch. Uh, and Gary Harris has been hurt for Denver uh, recently, and and you know uh, Will Barton has been able to come in, and they've won I think six or seven in a row with him as their starting shooting guard. So the fact that he's been able to fill in the starting lineup and fit in seamlessly has been pretty impressive as well. Uh, and then finally, uh, the Toronto backup point guard, Fred Van Fleet. He has been absolutely terrific. He was undrafted out of the NBA last year wow. in last year's NBA draft. 
played in the D-League and actually won the D-League title with the Raptors 905 in, in his rookie season. Okay. And then this year in his second year has uh, uh, basically taken the, the, the backup point guard by storm and has just been terrific for them in terms of running the pick and roll, knocking down threes, playing uh, you know really good defense. He'll, he'll oftentimes press the, the opposing point guards full court and really make them work. Uh, you know, he has been, uh, you know, one of the engines of that Toronto second unit, which has been the best second unit in the entire NBA. Wow. That's an awesome story. Yeah. And I need to learn more about this guy. And he's, uh, you know, I think the reason he went undrafted, he's 5'10", so he's short. Mm -hmm. He isn't the quickest guy in the world, you know, and, uh, you know... At, uh, in college, he wasn't the greatest of shooters either. So it's like, oh, this short guy that's not athletic and can't shoot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, you can see why he wasn't drafted. But the guy just knows how to play, mm. and he's also got a great work ethic. So he's developed his jumper, become an above-average three-point shooter, and uh, you know, a guy that just knows how to run the pick and roll, when to attack the the defense, when to you know play that pocket pass. Uh, when to just pass it to the other side and let them run when the defense is, you know, shifted too far to help. Right. Uh, you know, he just knows how to play, and sometimes that's all that matters. Yeah. Basketball IQ. That's awesome. Uh, I think that leads right into uh, most improved player. So, Victor Oladipo, no doubt. Okay. Uh, this one, even more so, is an obvious one over, like, <laughs> Lou Williams and James Harden. Yeah. Uh, like, there's no one even close to it. To, uh, to Victor Oladipo in this category because he went from a less than all-star caliber player to all-NBA. Yeah. That's like <laughs> multiple jumps. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, he was like basically by everyone's calculation a huge disappointment last year in OKC. Didn't fit well next to Russell Westbrook. Didn't play well in the postseason. Uh, the Thunder got beat pretty convincingly by the Rockets and he yeah. was kind of nowhere to be found. Uh, got into much better shape this off season, uh, you know, improved his three point shooting, and uh, you know the fact that he got into better shape has really opened up his game in terms of attacking the basket. Uh, he's another guy that's just a freak athlete. Uh, the finishes that he's able to to make at the basket over a contest has been really in, impressive, and uh, he again leading an Indiana team that. You know, outside of him is pretty average talent-wise. Yeah. You know, a team that I anticipated would be in the low 30s win-wise. Uh, that right. he has taken them from not just a team that probably was going to miss the playoffs to making it, but then to even potentially making, uh, you know, getting home court in the first round. It's so uh, so yeah. impressive, and, and he has been terrific. Uh, another guy, Julius Randle for the Lakers, I think has improved quite a bit. Uh, I already mentioned Fred Van Fleet. Randall, uh, you know, he still hasn't improved the jump shot that much. That's still a weakness in his game. Okay. But he's essentially just um, gotten so much better at what he does he already did well. Okay. Uh, you know, at attacking the basket, using his body, and just kind of being a beast. Uh, kind of like a Charles Barkley rampaging towards the <laughs> rim. That's kind of how he's been very effective. He's also improved... His ability to finish with his offhand, okay. his right hand. He used to like only exclusively finish with his left. Now he can he can do a little bit of both. Uh, so now you you can't just shade him go to go right because he can actually beat you that direction. Yeah. Uh, so you know, and, and that comes with improving his ball handling as well that he's done. Uh, so the like he has just uh, really been a challenge. And the fact that they play him sometimes at center, 
uh, just uh, defenses just don't know what to do with him in terms of, <laughs> oh, well, like this big man can't like, guard him like at all because even if you lay off of him, he's so quick, so strong, he'll beat you to the basket. And even if he doesn't beat you there, he can body up and still finish over you. So yeah. he, is, he has been pretty good, averaging, I think, 16 points a game this year. Uh, so he's a guy that definitely has improved quite a bit. And, and uh, you know, Lakers fans have, have a reason to be excited with the likes of Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma and, and Julius Randle. And even Brandon Ingram has improved a mm-hmm. decent amount as well. So they've got a, a nice young core to look forward to. That's awesome. All right, uh, so only a few categories left. Uh, Coach of the Year. Yes, yeah, so this has kind of gone back and forth in my mind. I think up until like two weeks ago, I had Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz winning it. Um, just, you know, developing such a great offensive system that their offense is a lot better than their talent level. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that they're so great defensively, and, you know, obviously having Rudy Gobert helps, but putting him in positions to succeed is also important as a coach. Uh, and uh, so he's been, he's been terrific, and also keeping his team motivated. Uh, throughout a season in which they went nine games under 500, keeping their spirits up, saying, you know, we just got to stick with it. And they've had situations where early in the season, you know, the likes of they added Ricky Rubio, right, in the offseason. Right. And they have Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors as their center and power forward combo. None of those guys are known as shooters. And at the start of the season, that trio was just awful. It was getting blitzed by the opposing teams. And yeah. a lot of coaches would say, okay, we just can't play those three guys together anymore. And other coaches say, okay, it's not working, but why is it not working? Is it literally just this will never work? Or do we need to tweak some things in the X's and O's to get it to work? Right. And they've made subtle adjustments. One of the things, you know, moving Derek Favors into the corner instead of into the dunker spot, you know, along the baseline. Okay. And even though Favors isn't a great three-point shooter, just having him in the corner makes the defender take an extra step away from the basket. And that has really opened up things. You know, it's simple little adjustments like that that can make what seems like a lineup that isn't working work. Uh, so genius. Wow. Yeah, so so Quinn Snyder's certainly up there, but I have to go with Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens, given what the Celtics have gone through this year with Gordon right. Hayward, losing him game one, mm. you know, you prepare an entire training camp, like, thinking, okay, we're going to be a team with Gordon Hayward. Losing that, like, who is your second most important player, probably. Right. Maybe third, depending on how much you like Al Horford. <laughs> um, but, uh Losing him and then being able to adjust. They lost their first two games and then going on that. I think they went on a 16-17 game win streak. And then most recently losing even Kyrie Irving and the team still able to win ball games. They've gone to 2-3 zones at times the last uh, the last couple of games. They had a key win against Utah going to a 2-3 zone. Wow. Uh, so, you know, he has just pulled out all of the different tricks, uh, tools in the toolbox to, to pull out wins for a team that at times has been, you know, uh, lacking that, uh, that top-tier talent. And yeah. they're, they're going to win in the mid-50s. For a team that even I would have predicted with Gordon Hayward would have only won that many games. The fact that they've done it without Hayward and Kyrie missing 20 games, still winning mid-50s, I think that uh, that gives the edge slightly to Brad Stevens over a guy like Quinn Snyder. Yeah. Wow, that's that's incredible. Um, Do you want to go on to the last Um, year, or do you want to keep talking about... I I just have a couple little honorable mentions as far as uh, Coach of the Year goes. Brett Brown of the Sixers has done a terrific job. 
you know, the fact that this is the first season, like Ben Simmons is on the team. You know, you've got, uh, you know, Joel Embiid, who has a very specific skill set. And, you know, Ben Simmons being a guy that can't shoot, the fact that Brett Brown just said, you know what, you're our point guard. You know, and he's a 6'10 guy that most people would label as a small forward. He just straight up said, nope, you're going to have the ball 100% of the time. You're, You're our point guard. And... You know that took that was a gamble, and it's worked out brilliantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of the little things that he has done to make Ben Simmons effective, even off the ball, playing him with bigs that can shoot and putting him in the dunker spot when he's off the ball, ha- has worked out pretty well. Playing him at the four at times, also when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, uh, and and even this most recent stuff with Markel Fultz, the fact that uh, Fultz has missed most of the season, uh, he's also had some weird issues with his jump shot. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that he's basically said, okay, so maybe his jump shot isn't right. Well, let's, you know, he's healthy otherwise. Let's just bring him and be Ben Simmons' backup. So literally, he just plays the role that Ben Simmons plays when he rests. Right. And that's been a brilliant decision because, again, as long as you have the ball in your hands, the, the lack of shooting isn't as big of a factor. Right. Uh, so, you know, he's become, you know, another guy that has really boosted that Philadelphia second unit. Here in the stretch run, and another reason why, with Embiid out these last you know eight or nine games, they've continued to win, uh, and so you got to give a lot of credit to Brett Brown. Uh, I also like you know what Dwayne Casey has done with Toronto. Uh, the fact they're going to be a near sixty win team again without the real top tier talent is really impressive, and the fact that he's been able to you know build a starting lineup of veteran guys, but then have a second unit of of young players that are pretty effective. Uh, is uh, is really valuable, uh, and then Mike D'Antoni, of course, Houston Rockets being the best, uh, you know, the best team in the NBA and being a top ten defense. You know, Mike D'Antoni right. not known for his defense, but exactly. uh, you know he's got some good assistance for that as well. But you got to give D'Antoni credit that you know he he is capable of being a coach on a good defensive team if the personnel is right. <laughs> right. Um, awesome. But yeah, that's probably that's probably all I have for coach the although you know Greg Popovich I think he, he's just someone you have to say every year every because year. he's probably the best coach right um, and the fact that they've won close to fifty without Kawhi another yeah. great job from Popovich oh yeah amazing yeah how many coach of the years has he won do you know I I believe three or four okay uh, I'm not positive on that but um, probably not as many as he should have won <laughs> I think that's fair to say yeah one of the best coaches of all time maybe in yes. that conversation of mm-hmm. like the best you know? certainly um i actually um speaking of that i heard a um uh, i was watching nba tv recently and there was a, a little segment where they were talking about the 98 or the 90 1998-99 san antonio spurs that season right. the lockout season when they won the championship the first championship of um you know that great run with tim duncan uh but they apparently got off to a rough start, and for a while there, Greg Popovich was actually, you know, this was according to rumors of the players and the the general managers and all that at the time, that he was on the hot seat. What? And, you know, oh, if man. there was a couple of games there where if they continued on this, you know, kind of rocky beginning, he could have been fired. And imagine how, how many what-ifs and how different <laughs> things would be if, if that had taken place. And uh, think wow. about how great of a coach Popovich turned out to be and how much of a disaster that would have been if they fired him. Oh my gosh! All of those championships! All oh my gosh! But this was, you know, this was Greg Popovich before he was Greg Popovich, if you know what I mean. Right. Before they had really accomplished anything, so he was he didn't have that sort of uh, power and respect that he has, of course, now. 
Right. Oh, that's crazy. That's an awesome story. I did <laughs> yeah. not know that. Um, all right, last thing we got on here is uh, Executive of the Year. Uh, so this is really between two guys, and it's got to be Daryl Morey and Danny Ainge. Of course, Danny Ainge picking up Gordon Hayward as a free agent, uh, you know, basically giving up nothing for that. Uh, they had to, to get enough cap space. They did have to trade Avery Bradley for Marcus Morris. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that was as big of a downgrade as a lot of people think. I really like Marcus Morris. Uh, and he's another guy, Morris, that is bigger, is more of a guy that can switch across multiple positions. Where Bradley, even though he's an unbelievable defender, especially against like point guard, really quick guys, uh, you know, he's 6'2", so he can't really, um, you know, defend a guy like a LeBron James, whereas Marcus Morris could. And, you know, given what Boston was trying to play for this year, which is to beat the Cavs, that was probably their main goal. Marcus Morris makes a little bit more sense for that. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't even mind that trade. And j- just in, uh, you know, if you focus on that trade and don't even factor in the, that that helped get Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, trading down from one to three from uh, the pick that they could have gotten Fultz to get Jason Tatum, you know, and getting a draft pick in return as well in a future year, that looks pretty good, even though I still think Markel Fultz might end up the better player than Jason Tatum. The fact that we pretty much know now that Jason Tatum's going to be a good NBA wing, and the yeah. wing is such a valuable position, uh, and that they got another draft pick that could be a top five pick in either this year or next year's draft. You know, it's uh, it's it looks a lot better than it did at the time. Uh, so Danny Ainge is definitely in the conversation. Uh, but to me, the the pick is Daryl Morey of the Houston Rockets. Okay. Not only making the Chris Paul trade, which really to me is uh, you know the biggest trade in the last couple of years in terms of uh, you know changing the championship picture, because Houston with just James Harden as their only star. We're probably always going to fall behind the likes of a Golden State with four All-Stars and a Cleveland that, even without Kyrie, has a couple All-Stars and LeBron right. and Kevin Love. Uh, the fact that they not only added another All-Star, but a guy in Chris Paul who I think is uh, def- definitively a top ten guy and more like a top five or six. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, two guys that I think pl- play really well together that people were concerned that, you know, because they were both ball-dominant, that it was going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. The fact they've been able to stagger it and the fact they can both shoot the basketball and play off of each other, I think it's worked flawlessly. Yeah. And Paul is a really great defender as well, so he's improved their defense. And then getting guys like P.J. Tucker and Luke Richard and Bob Mute, two two pickups in free agency that I think were huge in terms of uh, developing that top-ten defense. You know, both of those guys are known mainly for their defense, but they've also been just good enough offensively that it hasn't killed their offense when they've been on the floor. Uh, But to bring that defense up to a top 10, I think that's crucial because I think most NBA championship level teams are teams that can be, you know, top 10 in both offense and defense. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's pretty much all the awards. Uh, We went through that. Uh, So now let's do a quick little playoff preview. Okay. I want to go through some of the teams and uh, talk about their possible playoff matchup matchups, and maybe see if uh, if Anthony has some interesting you know matchups or players he wants to see go at it. Okay. Uh, so first off, we've got the Toronto Raptors. They're def- they're definitely the number one seed in the East. They've already locked that up. 
and potentially could be the number two seed in terms of the entire NBA. They might even have a better record than the Warriors if uh, if things turn out well yeah. behind the Rockets. But having the second best record in the NBA, pretty impressive. Sure. Uh, their possible playoff opponents, it's down to three possibilities. It's either the Miami Heat, the Washington Wizards, or the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. Of course, just briefly talking about uh, the Heat, you know, that's a team that doesn't, again, have the top-tier talent, but they're definitely a really solid, solidly coached team with Eric Spolstra. They've got really good defenders. Josh Richardson is a 6'5 shooting guard that's just a pest. He's got really long arms, good athlete. Justice Winslow, 6'5, really bulky, small forward that can defend guys. James Johnson is another guy that, at 6'8, is a pretty good defender. Yeah. So they theoretically could throw guys at Lowry and DeRozan that would really give them a hard time. Uh, the question with the Heat is, can they score enough? You know, right. their defense. That I don't think anyone's questioning that their defense is really good. They're well coached, but they're not that explosive of an offensive team. Uh, of course, Washington. You've got Bradley Beal and John Wall. John Wall is back, and he looks pretty good. I watched him in the game against Cleveland. That Cleveland came back and won recently, but. Wall looks to have that explosion back. So, you know, for a team that's going to be a 6th through 8th seed, they're probably better than that because of John Wall and that he's missed a lot of the season, and that's why they've maybe not won as many games. Right. Uh, But having those two guys, obviously they've got pretty good top-tier talent. Uh, And, you know, they've got some shooters in the likes of Otto Porter, uh, you know, and um, Markeith Morris is a pretty solid power forward as well. Their bench has improved this year. Kelly Oubre, this is his third season. He's really coming to his own. Uh, so Washington's certainly a dangerous team. And then Milwaukee, uh, you know, this team might be the most talented out of all three of these. Mm. I mean, you've got Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah. who in a series against Toronto would be the best player in that series. Definitely. By far. Uh, and, you know, you've got a guy like... Uh, Eric Bledsoe, who's a really good point guard, who, uh, when locked in, could be a defensive stalwart to slow down a guy like Kyle Lowry. You've got Chris Middleton, who's averaging 20 points a game, pretty Mm. good shooter. Uh, And then Jabari Parker, who's been coming off their bench, that is a really capable scorer. Uh, Biggest problem with Milwaukee has been the coaching all season long. They fired Jason Kidd halfway through the season. Uh, For like a 10 to 15 game stretch after that firing, they looked like a great defensive team, but then it's all kind of gone back to what the numbers were like under Kidd anyway. So they're not well coached. Uh, They kind of, it's kind of a your turn, my turn approach to their offense. It's not really a system. Mm -hmm. And defensively, uh, you know, even though they aren't as aggressive, a lot of times they still do gamble a little too much. And their center play has been pretty weak. They've got two centers uh, that can't really rebound the basketball at all. But but just looking at those teams, I'm curious uh, what you think in terms of Toronto, who you might want to face the most and who you might want to face the least. That's really tough. Um, my, my first uh, instinct would be to want to go against the weaker offensive team, you know, and just hope that you can outscore them. But... Uh, what you're saying with that defense, they might be able to actually slow down, you know, Lowry and DeRozan to the point where they're not that effective. And if that happens, then yeah, the Heat could squeak that out. So I guess the the positive with Toronto and the changes they've made this right. year is they're not quite as reliant on Lowry and DeRozan, okay, yeah. even though they're their clear one-two. Sure, but the fact that their second unit has been really good. 
and you know they've um, they've gotten production from a bunch of different players. Lowry's down to about 16 points a game, so yeah. he's not even scoring that much for them anymore. He's mostly just a three-point shooter, occasional you know creator. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but but yeah, Miami certainly um, would be a team that you'd think if you're Toronto. Uh, your Toronto is also a good defensive team, right? So, so just hope that you can out. That's probably what I would pick. Uh, in the back of my mind, though, I also it's tempting to pick the team with like the one big superstar, but you know not as much around him. Uh, but that obviously, you know, in watching all the Jordan games, that backfired for a lot of teams. Like say the Cleveland Cavaliers, <laughs> clearly a better team in 1989. Like. Could have we actually talked about that the yeah. last time? You know, could have been the NBA champion right. that year, but then Michael Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I picked the Heat with that matchup. And then um, you know the other the other thing to factor in is Toronto played Milwaukee last year in the first round, won it in six. Okay. Milwaukee actually, uh, you know, won Game One and then won Game Three. Oh, wow. Took a two-one series lead, but then Toronto was able to make some adjustments and end up winning that series in six. Yeah. So Milwaukee has already been a team that has shown some signs that they could give them trouble. And, you know, they're, talent-wise, they're probably even better because Giannis has taken another step, and the addition of Eric Bledsoe that they right. didn't have last year, he's another guy that, uh, you know, could could cause problems. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, if, if you're Toronto, who would you most fear? That Milwaukee team, <laughs> a rematch with them? Or facing that really difficult backcourt in Wall and Beal. Ooh, that's really tough. Um, I might, uh, I I wasn't aware of that with the last year with the first round. I might be more inclined to go with, to want the Wizards matchup. Because I, I, I'm a little scared of Giannis, dude. Like, he's, yeah. he's really good. And like yes. you're saying, with, with any type of supporting cast that's even decent around him, that means that, there's a chance they're going to beat you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Wall and Beal are really good, too. So Right. Well, and that, it's, that's <laughs> what you pick, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I were the Raptors, I would still probably say I'd want to play the Bucks Over just the Wizards. Over yeah. the Wizards. Just because, again, the, the Bucks are very much a, um, you know, kind of your turn, my turn team. And okay. they're much better as a transition team, which in the playoffs it slows down quite a bit. Uh, I think... Um, you know, with a team like Washington, they have especially they've they've developed this without Wall on the floor. They've they've Good developed point. an offensive system where they're passing the ball and spreading it around a little bit more. Uh, so you know, they scare me a little bit more. And again, okay. as Toronto, we beat them last year, and I think Toronto has improved as a team, and Milwaukee's kind of stagnated, even though certain individuals are better. Gotcha. Uh, so. Um, you know, but it is a tough call, and it is. and for a number one seed, you can see why there's a lot of question marks about uh, Toronto because, like any of these teams, you can see why it would cause them problems, right. especially if you know you talk about a DeRozan and a Lowry if they continue to struggle like they have in recent postseasons. Yeah. Okay, so that's a, that's uh, what the number one seed. So the two seed is the Boston Celtics. They're right. for sure the two seed. And they're not going to have Kyrie Irving for the entirety of the playoffs. Yikes. So um, one saving grace for Boston is that Terry Rozier, their backup point guard, former first-round pick, has been excellent. Okay. Uh, of course, he doesn't have nearly the dynamic offense that Kyrie has, but he's a, he's a 
better defender, so Boston's better defensively without Kyrie on the floor. Uh, you know, especially, they're definitely worse offensively, but, you know, they've got a good coach, they play a good system, they're going to move the basketball. Uh, so, you know, even though you look at that team and say, oh, this is probably the least talented two-seed we've seen in the NBA playoffs, you know, with a great coach, a great defense, uh, you know, you can go a long way sometimes. And so I, I wouldn't count them out in terms of, you know, still winning a round or two sure. uh, in the playoffs. Uh, their potential matchups, same as Toronto. You've got Miami, Washington, mm-hmm. Milwaukee. So, um, you know, what we just talked about are those teams. If you're Boston, what's the, maybe the team you want to play the most and how about the team that you fear the most? I, I think still picking Miami for the first <laughs> first choice if you could Um, those would be some i i imagine if miami and boston matched up we would see a lot of like 82 to 80 final scores yeah you know you know (laughs) we'd be going back in a time machine to like the the (laughs) mid 90s or something right uh, with some of those score lines (laughs) yeah um the idea with wall especially without uh, another elite point guard out there uh, i know you're saying the backup's been doing a good job but I feel like I wouldn't want to see the Wizards with yeah. that first round. It just scares well, and, me. With And, you know, going back to how Toronto and Milwaukee played last year, Boston and Washington played last year, that was an epic seven-game series that Boston squeaked out, in large part due to Isaiah Thomas having a 50-point game in that series. Right. Uh, so Washington is a team that, uh, you know, want, would want revenge in a series like that as well. So you got to factor that in also. Right. So, yeah, I'd rather I, I try and get the heat if I could and just, like you said, slug it out 90s style. And if you couldn't get that, then we'll take on the Bucks and right. see what happens. Well, and the positive thing, uh, you know, for Boston against a Milwaukee, again, you'd be at a talent disadvantage, which is unusual for a two-seat against a seven-seat. Right. But the fact that Boston is so well-coached, coached that I think they could keep it to a half-court game, and that's something that Giannis, as good as he is, isn't quite as effective as he is in transition where this, where he can uh, really get moving. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so that's Boston, and uh, so, so just looking at those two sorts of things, who would you say is more vulnerable? Mm. Would you say the Raptors or the Celtics? Because, of course, the Raptors, you question if Lowry and DeRozan are going to come to play, but yeah. again, they also, uh, you know, have uh, more help this time. Or... More help. Their second unit ha- can completely change games at times. So if their starters are struggling, Dwayne Casey has the ability to, to you know, bring on a whole different team essentially, right? Uh, and and turn the tide. Uh, and you know, the fact that they're deep, their starters are well rested. That's an, another important factor. Uh, and they pass the ball more. They they shoot more threes. DeRozan's even taking more threes. Um, so, uh, you know, considering that, and then you also consider Boston, you can almost you can book that Boston defensively is going to be sound. Yeah. Uh, do you have a Do you have an idea of who you think might be a little bit more vulnerable there? I just with all the injuries, I would say the Celtics might be a little more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you raise a good point with. Um, Watching Toronto last year in the playoffs, they, uh, especially DeRozan and Lowry, they didn't come to play. Yeah, and so I, I still, you know, they played great all season. So I'm hoping that they would keep that together. But what about you? Yeah, I think the Celtics, just because I know they're going to struggle offensively. Yeah, you know, despite the fact that Brad Stevens can get 
as much out of a you know limited offense as any coach in the league. There's going to be games where they're just not going to have it. If the three ball's not falling, uh, you know they just yeah. don't have that offensive star power to really get them out of that. Whereas Toronto, I think even if their, star, their best players, Lowry and DeRozan, don't bring it to their usual level, I think they have enough depth and overall talent and defense to potentially still get out of it. I mean, yeah. again, last year that that same thing happened. Lowry and DeRozan really struggled, and they were still able to get past Milwaukee. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there that the Celtics are probably um, uh, the most vulnerable out of the first round. So now let's go to the current three seed, okay. the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, you know, they have a slight edge over Cleveland. It could flip at some point if Philadelphia loses here down the stretch. Mm-hmm. If they win out, they will get the three seed. Yeah. Um, but uh, their possible opponents... Uh, you know, same as what we just talked about, Heat, Wizards, Bucks, but then also they could get the the Pacers if, uh, for instance, Philadelphia mm. falls down to the four seed, then they would pay, play the Pacers in the 4-5 matchup. Yeah. So, um, you know, of course, the Pacers, just to talk about them a little bit, of course, they've got that most improved player in Victor Oladipo, who has been an all-NBA level player this year. Uh, they've got, you know, the rest of the roster isn't great, but they've got a couple of capable point guards in Darren Collison and Corey Joseph, two guys that can hit threes and run a pick-and-roll decently well. Uh, their center position is pretty strong in Miles Turner. He's a guy that can, can hit threes, really good mid-range pick-and-pop guy. Uh, and then DeMontis Sabonis, uh, you know, Arvita Sabonis' son is their backup center. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, he has been pretty good in terms of he's a, he's a good passer like his dad, uh, and he's good with finishing. He's a lefty. He can finish in the paint. Uh, so he's been a solid backup uh, center for them as well. They're they're just a team that I think uh, you know, at every position they've got a solid guy, right? You know, and then you you add in Oladipo, and he's mm. what kind of takes them to another level. Uh, so out of those teams, sort of, uh, if you're Philadelphia, and again you got to factor in with Philadelphia that Joel Embiid is going to miss part, if not all, of the first round. Um, you know he's got a he had a two to four week timetable for re- uh, returning with that um, that uh, facial injury, mm-hmm. uh, and the at the end of the four weeks would be right around game six. Oh, wow. so if he if he ends up being out for the entirety of the four weeks, he could miss the first five games of a potential seven game series. Yikes! That that is really tough losing a player like that. I'm trying to think of. Matchup wise, do they still have some rim protection? Do you think with the Sixers um, without Embiid, or I mean, they they pl- they start Amir Johnson, okay. uh, who's kind of an average center, I would say. Hmm. Uh, but uh, one thing that they do do without Embiid is they run a lot more, okay. and that sort of suits Ben Simmons's transition and passing skills. So hmm. they've been a better you know offensive team while being you know obviously a worse defensive team. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm having a hard time with the, these matchups and who I'd want to pick. Um, it. If I had my choice as the 76ers, it. I want to say it would come down between the Heat and the Pacers. Okay. Um, I'm not sure which one I would. We well, yeah, out of that. Oladipo is unproven in the playoffs. Right. You know, he played last year with OKC and wasn't very good. Yeah. So he's a guy that, despite the fact that he's had an amazing regular season, he still has to show that he can keep that level up 
uh, come playoffs. Right. So I might lean towards the Pacers with that matchup then. Uh, man, it's it's crazy how close some of these are, right? And they're only a few games apart. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that with this, the Sixers? Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, um, I think... I think the Heat are the weakest of all of these teams, just in general, even though they might be the best defensively. Okay. Uh, but their their offense is so below average that uh, I just think um, that that would be the team I would probably want to play most often. The, the only exception probably being, you know, maybe the Boston Celtics, because... With without Kyrie Irving, the Boston Celtics are very similar to like a Miami Heat, where they're really right. solid defensively, but they're really weak offensively. Yeah. Um, but if I'm Philly, it's probably the Heat. The team I would probably not want to play is the Washington Wizards. Okay. Uh, because again, I think the strength uh, would line up with the strength for both of those teams. You know, playing transition basketball is what Philly wants to do, but Washington's excellent with that. With John Wall's one of the best transition players in the NBA, right? Uh, So that would be a matchup that I think would be pretty challenging. And I don't think the Sixers would have much of an edge defensively over Washington without an Embiid. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, the other thing that Philadelphia would hopefully just try to get to is hopefully you can get to a game six where you're still alive, even if you're down three two. And you get Embiid back, right? You still would probably be the favorites to win that series over any of these teams, right? So it's just it's just staying getting there. alive yep. for that whole time. Interesting. Okay. Um, so the four seed currently, of course, is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is probably a team you know the most, just in terms of how much you've seen them play over the years. Although sure. there are some some differences in personnel since that trade, a lot uh, of differences, and, and yeah. losing Kyrie Irving. But you know, you still have LeBron and Kevin Love, who you know very right. well. Tristan Thompson is still a big part of the team. Larry Nance is, you know, uh, Larry Nance Jr. Of course, Larry Nance is uh, right. <laughs> former Cav great. Uh, and then you've got guys like Rodney Hood and. Uh, George Hill added to the picture. Uh, oh, and you know, of course Kyle Korver's still a part of the rotation. Right. You know him well. Oh yeah. Uh, so again, same possible opponents as the Sixers. They've got the Heat, Wizards, Bucks, Pacers. If you're LeBron and the Cavs, who are the teams you're excited to potentially match up against, and who are the teams? I don't think LeBron is ever going to be fearful right. of any of these teams. But right. what would give you at least a small amount of concern? Uh, I mean, again, going back to the Wizards. You know, like you're saying before, the with John Wall up there. I mean, he's playing great coming back. I would be a little nervous about that. How have they matched up in the regular season against like Wizards and in the Bucks? So the Those Wizards, are the, two that, uh, the Wizards and Cavs have had some really great games uh, over the last couple of seasons. Most recently, there was a game last week where the Cavs and Wizards went back and forth. The, the Wizards were up about ten. With uh, or actually no, it was more like fourteen with about four and a half minutes to go. Cavs came all the way back and won, oh, just wow. scoring nonstop. And uh, even though the Wizards had scored at a really high level the entirety of the game, those last four minutes kind of bogged down. Started just dribbling the shot clock out and mm. and waiting out the possessions. And uh, the Cavs, even with a Kevin Love at center, were able to get stops. Wow! Uh, and then with Love at center and LeBron attacking the basket. Cavs are pretty much unstoppable, uh, so they were scoring at will. Um, you know, and there was the game last year where LeBron had the, that play to send it to overtime where Love inbounded it, threw it to him on the other end of the floor from 
Loving batted it from the baseline. Okay. Threw baseball pass, length of the floor. LeBron caught it, turned around, banked it in off the glass to send the game to overtime. Yeah. So they've had some really interesting matchups over the years. Of course, uh, they're very high-scoring affairs. There was a game earlier this year where LeBron put up 57 against Washington. Wow. Um, and I think you watched that game, or at least part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah. LeBron. Yes, I did watch that Yeah, game, yeah. Uh, LeBron just was unstoppable. Uh, the Wizards don't really have a great matchup defensively for LeBron, not that a lot of teams do, but they don't have even a guy that's like even okay. Because uh, a guy like Otto Porter at small forward's rail thin. Their backup small forward, Ubre, is rail thin. Right. They don't have anybody that's strong enough. Um, their best bet is playing their power forward, Markeith Morris, on LeBron. He's really the only guy that can, you know, at least stand up to the strength portion of LeBron's game. Right. Uh, so defensively, Washington doesn't match up well, but they're a team that, uh, you know, against Cleveland, who is not a good defense, as we talked about, they can score on the Cavs pretty effectively, and they're confident that they can score on the Cavs. Yeah, I'd be a little nervous going against them, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. But as a fan, I kind of want to see that matchup. I, I, I want to see this just with the legacy of LeBron, right? Um I, I know it might sound like we hate on him a lot because we always have him at number two, and you know a lot of people nowadays want to put him up in that number one spot, right? Um, I do want to see him tested with this. I want because the last few years it's been almost a cakewalk to get to the finals, and then that's where the big test has been. It'd be nice to see the best teams coming at this kind of weakened Cavs team, and to see if LeBron can keep rising up and lead his team. Through that's gonna do a huge part to his uh, improving his legacy there. Right, um, it'll make that conversation even more interesting next time around. So, what about a potential LeBron Giannis matchup? I that would be fun, right? I would love that. Either <laughs> either one of those. Um, I, I definitely want to see that head to head. Well, and that would be a matter of like Giannis and LeBron would go head to head individually a yeah. lot in that sort of a series, and Giannis, you know, being one of, you know, two or three guys in the entire NBA that you feel like physically can stack up against LeBron. Yeah, that's crazy <laughs> to even say that. But yes, it, you're right. Like, Giannis is a, another freak athlete and a lot younger than LeBron is at this point. LeBron hasn't slowed down a whole lot. Well, I guess he slowed down for sure, but he was so amazing as an athlete before that he's still miles ahead of yeah. almost anyone else. Yeah. Uh, not name Giannis. Yeah, I would love to see that matchup too. Those those are who I would pick in terms of being a fan. Well, it'd, um, it'd be really sad if LeBron happened to leave this offseason to a Western Conference team and we never saw a Cavs-Wizards or a LeBron-Giannis in the playoffs because right. th- it would be fascinating. It really would. Um, so let's now go and... Uh, you know, go to the Western Conference and talk about some of those matchups. And this right. is even, there's even more complications with the West. Yeah. Because the standings are even that much, or, <laughs> you know, are so tight from three through nine. Yeah. Uh, we're still not even sure exactly who's going to get in. And again, we're recording this on Monday, uh, a couple of days prior to the, the regular season finale. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, you, of course, got the Houston Rockets, who are the one seed, and let's just detail some of the possibilities of teams they could face. And Again, they'd be playing the eight seed, but again, so many different teams could be the eight seed right now. <laughs> uh, the Timberwolves could be the eight seed, the Nuggets, the Thunder, the Spurs, and the Pelicans. Of yeah. course, the Pelicans with Anthony Davis. 
you've got Rajon Rondo, who's an interesting playoff player because yeah. uh, last year with Chicago, he was horrible in the regular season, especially defensively. And then those first couple games against Boston, you saw playoff Rondo, the, yeah, the like guy from, from Boston, right. uh, play, and the Bulls went up to a 2 nothing lead on Boston. Then Rondo broke his thumb. Boston won the series. Mm. Uh, but Rondo is a guy that, you know, he's one of those guys that maybe you just deal with all of his issues during the regular season, <laughs> even though he kills your defense, just so you hopefully get a playoff Rondo. Yeah. Um, you know, so he might go up a level, which would make things interesting, combined with an Anthony Davis. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got a lot of, they, they have done a good job of putting shooters now. Nikola Miritich they traded for after the Cousins trade because they needed another big. He's a guy that can hit threes. Uh, Drew Holiday, a solid guard guy that can knock down shots. Etwan Moore and uh, um, Darius Miller, another couple of guys that shoot around 40% from three. Uh, so, you know, you you put uh, a Rondo and Davis pick and roll with shooters around them. That could be potentially tough. Yeah. And Rondo, if he's committed defensively, they could be, and Davis, you know, is a monster on that end, they could be a pretty solid defensive unit as well. That would be scary. Um, <laughs> Not going to lie. I mean, Houston's amazing this year, but um, man. That's of course, a... you know, you've got San Antonio. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge has shown in previous years that he can light it up in the playoffs. He's had a couple of seasons where he's gone for 40 in game, both games, one and two. Mm-hmm. He did it to the Houston Rockets in 2014. He did it in 2016 to the Thunder, where he went 45 and 40, I think, in the first two games. Wow. Uh, in a series they ended up losing. Uh, but Aldridge has shown that, especially at the beginning of the, there's something about the first two games of yeah. the first round that he can go nuts. So that's another team, especially well coached with Popovich. Even without Kawhi Leonard, you've still got Danny Green, DeJounte Murray, Kyle Anderson, long defenders that, that can cause some problems. Uh, so you can't really sleep on the Spurs completely. Of course, the Thunder, they've got the high-end talent with Westbrook and George. Right. Steven Adams at center, really solid player. Uh, and they've had games in this regular season where they have blown out really good teams. They just recently beat Houston. Uh, they've they beat wow. Golden State one game by about twenty this year, uh, so they they're a team that uh, you know has such a wide range of what they're <laughs> capable of. They're capable of putting up a stinker and losing like and getting beat by forty, right? Uh, but or they're also they capable of blowing out some of the best teams in the league. So they're kind of a, a, a really wild scenario and probably a team that you know a, a Houston or Golden State doesn't want to see because of that variability. Yeah, I would not want to see them for sure (laughs) and then Um, of course uh, you've got minnesota with uh, jimmy butler and carl anthony towns again two guys that are probably in that top 15 range you know so they've got some high-end talent as well Uh, of course the denver nuggets uh not a good defensive team but uh you know really good offensively and they've got paul Millsap back he missed most of the season and now they've gone on a nice run with Millsap back in the fold uh so they're you know a team that uh um has been a borderline top five offense, and I think with Millsap would at least be top 20 defensively. So, you know, that's a dangerous team as well. It is, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think from the Rockets' perspective who I'd want to go against. Probably uh, between it, it would be between the Nuggets and the Timberwolves for me. Uh, just, you know, because the talent level on Pelicans, Spurs, and, and the Thunder is so high. Mm-hmm. Um 
I'm not sure who I would pick between Timberwolves and, and the Nuggets. Maybe maybe the Nuggets because defensively, like you said, they're they're lacking a little bit. Um, that might be a little bit easier path. But, yeah. yeah. And they don't have anybody specifically, I think, that's great to guard Harden or Paul, whereas right. Minnesota could throw Jimmy Butler at least on, at one, least of on them. one of them. Right. right. And, you know, the Thunder can throw Paul George at one of them as well. Right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I probably would agree with that, that the Nuggets, um, just because as Houston, I know I can outscore them. Uh, and, um, you know, honestly, I feel like I might prefer to play the Spurs over any of the other teams aside hmm. from Denver. Okay. Just because, again, I no know Kawhi. I can outscore the, the Spurs without Kawhi. Right. You know, they might slow us down a decent amount, but the Spurs offensively, unless Aldridge goes for <laughs> 40 in four different games, I don't think they have enough to beat us. Yeah. Good point. Um, so Golden State, uh, of course, they've got the issue of no Steph Curry especially in round one, but even maybe into round some of round two as well. Yeah. Uh, same possible opponents as the Rockets, Timberwolves, Nuggets, Thunder, Spurs, Pelicans. If you're the Warriors, you know, without Steph Curry, uh, out of hmm. those teams, who are you worried about? Who are you, uh, um, who are you thinking is going to be easy? Who do you think is going to be, you know, pretty tough? Uh, I mean, I think they're all going to be tough uh, in the West, but... Um the thought of going against a Russell Westbrook without uh, Steph Curry in the mix, you know, to have that point guard matchup scares me a little bit. Cause, yeah. I mean, like you said, Thunder are a wild card, but Westbrook himself is a wild card. Like, mm-hmm. you never know which version of Russell you're going to get. You could get one who's, you know, turning the ball over the whole time, or you can get where he's scoring 50 and triple-double and just destroying the other team. So and you've got Paul George to guard exactly. Durant. You've yeah. got the offensive rebounding uh, of Stephen Adams. They yep. present a lot of problems for the Warriors. Yeah, as you said, especially without Curry. Right. So I'd be I'd be afraid of the Thunder, uh, and I'd be afraid of the Pelicans. With, I mean, Rondo. Like again, like you said, you don't know what he's going to do, but I'm I'm sure he's going to step it up. But just with davis in there he is that type of talent that if he's you know putting up the numbers that he did during the regular season that could that could be a factor there right um i still see the warriors coming out on top against any of these teams i do as well the thunder would be the the yeah the the one where i would question it yeah but they still will have home court right they've still got kevin durant who can score the lights out and i think (laughs) defensively when when they're playing playoff level defense, I think they, uh, you know, in the regular season they've been kind of lousy or underperforming. But I guess I shouldn't say lousy because they're still like, in the top <laughs> ten defensively. Right. Uh, but uh, you know they've they've definitely taken possessions off, haven't taken it as seriously. I think with a committed Draymond Green, a committed Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, that you know, and again you factor in no Steph Curry, you can play more Iguodala and even Livingston. Right. I think those guys, when they're committed as well, they're older. I think they take the regular seasons off now. Uh, <laughs> when they're playing hard, they could even have a higher defensive ceiling without Curry as well. Right. So we might even see a better Warriors this time around just mm-hmm. with, you know, that effort coming yeah. back. So so um, the third seed then, we've got the Portland Trailblazers. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're... Uh, they're either going to be the three or the four. Uh, the only team that can pass them, I believe, is the Utah Jazz. Uh, but uh, they're probably going to be the three seed. Uh, they, there's a question mark whether Maurice Harkless will play. 
Um, there are talks that they're hoping he'll be back for the start of the first round. Uh, he had a arthroscopic knee surgery. It was supposed to be a minor knee surgery, but any knee surgery can is right. going to keep you out for a little while. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, with the, the Blazers, you've got C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, the backcourt that's really explosive scoring the basketball. They're a much-improved defensive team this year, especially okay. because of yeah. Yusuf Nurkic. They traded for him near the end of last season, went on a nice run, and then Nurkic got hurt for their first-round playoff series against the Warriors. Uh, so um, the fact that they've got Nurkic this time around, uh, he has been a, a really impressive in terms of his shot blocking and his rim protection. Uh, and, and what Portland does defensively is they stick to your shooters and they basically make you run the pick-and-roll, play two-on-two. They yeah. drop their center way back, make him protect the rim, and then you have to either hit open mid-range shots all game or, you know, you've got to figure out a way to still get a basket even when, you know, Nurkic is around there. Yeah. Uh, so they've been decent defensively. Mo Harkless, if he's healthy, and Al Farouk Aminu have been the wings playing the three and the four, and they both shot the ball close to 40% this year from three, so that's provided enough spacing for Lillard and McCollum to operate. Um, the bench is not the greatest, uh, but, uh, you know, that's basically the rundown of the Blazers. Uh, their potential opponents... Again, uh, all the teams we mentioned, Timberwolves, Nuggets, Thunder, Spurs, Pelicans, but then also the Utah Jazz because it could be a oh. matter of that being the three versus six if the Jazz drop to six. Wow. Um, so, uh, you know, there's uh, basically uh, <laughs> they could play pretty much anybody other than Houston <laughs> or Golden State. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's insane uh, how close this is. Yeah, um, I mean, again, some great teams here in the West. Um, the Thunder just really scare me with, like I said, like Westbrook is a, an incredible talent, and, and the rest of his team with George and everyone else, I wouldn't want to see them in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to see the Spurs either, uh, but really Thunder and the Pelicans are what... Um, Scare, scare me the most. Is there something specific about this matchup, though, with one of these teams that makes you think this is a little more... Um, again, like, with Portland's, you know, uh, really good scoring backcourt, I tend to think um, teams like the Nuggets or Pelicans wouldn't be as challenging because they don't have the elite perimeter stoppers. Okay. Whereas, like, teams like the Timberwolves, Thunder, or Spurs... You know, they've got wing defenders. The Spurs, you know, can throw Danny Green and DeJounte Murray and long guys yeah. uh, on the their scores. The Thunder, again, with Westbrook and Paul George. Uh, and, again, Minnesota with Jimmy Butler. So, to me, I, those are the teams that would scare me if I'm Portland, is the teams that can really, you know, stick some really solid defenders on my best players and kind of suffocate the offense. Yeah. Uh, the final the final team is the Utah Jazz. Uh, the I guess the final team I should say that have clinched playoffs as we are recording. Right. Uh, so, but they could be anywhere from I think three to eight uh, in the seeding. Um, so, uh, the um, the possible playoff matches again: Timberwolves, Nuggets, Thunder, Spurs, Pelicans, and Portland. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, just to talk a little bit about Utah, because we haven't discussed them much yet course we mentioned that uh, donovan mitchell one of the guys for potential rookie of the year 
a really solid scorer at the guard position, can get his shot just off about over everybody. He's developed his finishing at the rim. Uh, and then you've got, you know, that suffocating defense with Rudy Gobert at the as the anchor. Uh, and, you know, they, they run a really good offensive system in terms of everybody touches the ball, everyone feels involved, and, uh, you know, you can't really lock in on any one specific player. Yeah. Hmm. Tough matchup-wise. I'm trying to think. What are your thoughts? So, as far as a playoff matchup, I think the Timberwolves scare me if I'm Utah because of the combination of Carl Anthony Towns at center and, you know, I guess um, if Minnesota plays Carl Anthony Towns and Taj Gibson, Gobert would probably guard Gibson to be more around the basket. Mm-hmm. But in the event that Minnesota spread it out more and played Towns at the five with four other shooters or four other perimeter players, that really makes it tough on Gobert in terms of being able to get out to Carl Anthony Towns, who shoots 40% from three, mm-hmm. but then also protect the basket. And the fact that they've got Jimmy Butler to guard Donovan Mitchell. Uh, that just seems like, you know, Minnesota's got their two best players are at the same position as the two best for Utah. Right. So they, they match up relatively well. Um, and then, you know, of course, the uh, the Thunder and the Spurs also scare me as a Utah fan just because of, uh, you know, the Thunder's explosiveness and their high-end talent. But then also the Spurs can match up coaching-wise with the Jazz, and defensively mm. they will play a, a sound game as well. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, the teams like the Denver or Pelicans don't scare me as much because I think just coaching-wise and defense they can, you know, suffocate those teams. But, yeah. uh, you know, those teams that really match up either defensively or just through personnel would, would scare me if I'm Utah. So, yeah, in terms of, like, uh, you know, player-wise and – any other potential, like even Western Conference matchups? What are you, uh, is there anything you're you're excited about or would like to see, if possible? Um, I mean, just like, from a fan's perspective. From a fan's yeah. perspective, within the first round here, or just overall? Yeah, first round. First round and, matchup. I mean, basically anybody could play anybody for the most part. So right. whatever you think would be interesting or exciting to see, either individually in terms of players or teams or both. Um, I think it would be fun to watch Thunder and Warriors go uh-huh. at it. Yeah, because um, they've had those past amazing series. Exactly, and so Westbrook versus Durant, you know, but then also just because how good these teams are, I think that'd be fun. From a competitive standpoint, it would probably be better if Curry was not playing. Right. But, uh, you know... Um, it also is always fun to see that Curry Westbrook back and forth because they're such different players, and they I think they both respect each other, but also don't like each other. Right. So so yeah, as a fan, it almost it might be even better if Curry is going to come back later on. Let's wait until Curry's mm-hmm. healthy and then see that matchup. But um, yeah, it's that could be like in a second round matchup where. Golden State as the two seed beats the seven, and then Oklahoma City maybe as the six beats Portland. Right. Something like that, then they could match up in the second round. That's a that's a legitimate possibility. Right. But what about you? What's a um, matchup you're looking at? You know, I think Warriors without Curry against the Jazz would be fantastic. Okay. Really interesting because, you know, Utah is a team that, again, so good defensively, so well coached. 
I think they could really give the Warriors troubles, especially Warriors trying to score the ball really? against that defense wow. without Curry. Um, because, again, Curry presents defenses, especially with a, a rim-protecting center, with such unusual predicaments in terms of bringing him way out from the basket. But without Curry, you know, uh, I know Durant and Clay Thompson are both really good shooters, but they're not as big of a threat off the dribble, especially from well beyond the arc. Right. Uh, so... Um, you know, I think that would be pretty fascinating, and Utah, I think, would give them a challenge, even though I think Utah themselves would struggle to score against a locked-in Warriors defense. Good point. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think other, like, um, you know, individual matchups, I think. Again, I mentioned the that for Utah, I wouldn't want to see Minnesota, but I think that would be a fun series to watch. I think the Carl Anthony Towns-Gobert yeah. matchup would be really interesting. And then also to see, like, can Donovan Mitchell play well against a Jimmy Butler, Butler type yeah. of player, I think would be a fascinating storyline as well. Yeah. There's there's a lot of really interesting um, possibilities here. But, yeah, those, especially if we're talking first-round matchups, yeah. uh, would be interesting. So how about, like, um, you know, let's, let's just look past even a potential first round. And uh, what are some potential, like, conference finals matchups in the Eastern Conference and Western Conference that you would like to see? Or second round, if you have any thoughts on a second round matchup that would be interesting. Well, earlier on, I was excited to see a Cavs and Boston Celtics, you know, uh, if it would have worked out that way for Eastern Conference Finals, just because of the Kyrie Irving versus LeBron James storyline there. Yeah. Um, I still think that would be interesting to see in the Eastern Conference, but... Uh, it's probably going to be one of those repeats of, you know, Cavs-Raptors. Well, actually, I don't know. It's That's kind of hard to say. Um, well, again, it de- depending on if, if the Cavs end up the four, they would play the Raptors in round two if they both advanced. True, true, so true. it could be, which yeah. I would be excited for this, a Cavs-Philly Eastern Conference yeah. Finals. I think that would be really exciting, not only because you've got Philly – you know, I think matches up pretty well defensively against LeBron and the Cavs because they've got a rim protector in Embiid, and you've got guys like Robert Covington and Ben Simmons who, you know, at least can not get completely bowled over by LeBron defensively. Right. Uh, so, and you know, they've got a, a decent amount of firepower and shooting as well. And it'd be a matter of like LeBron, the old guard, versus the new up and coming team in the Eastern Conference would be a neat storyline. That really would be, yeah. That's my answer now. I changed okay, it to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How about the Western Conference? Western Conference, Warriors, Rockets would yeah. be really cool. Um, yes. I mean, that's the whole season, what I've been looking forward to. Yeah. Um, yeah, seeing, like, uh, you know, if if Harden and Paul with a bunch of role players that fit is enough to overcome four All-Stars, yeah. you know, and two MVP caliber players. Um, it's a fascinating discussion because, like, with four All-Stars... Uh, you know, just ha- just merely having four guys that are that good, they have to sacrifice, and they can't get everything out of their game because right. uh, you know other guys have to you know be involved as well. Whereas Chris Paul and Harden, you know, when it's just two, they can really like you know just go all out and be everything that they're capable of being. Yep. And then you've got you know plenty of shooting, and again, two teams that are elite, elite offensively, putting up historic offensive seasons with two teams that are both 
capable of putting out defensive lineups that are also capable of shutting down the opposition. Yeah. And one thing with Houston that I think is fascinating is they've really developed a switch-heavy defensive scheme, mm-hmm. and it, it it fits their personnel because James Harden is a guy that he's he's weak defensively, but he's strong and he's big. Right. So switching wise, he's he's all right. Uh, and then you add like PJ Tucker and Luke Richard and Bob Mute, two guys that are really good at switching. Chris Paul even can hold his own against bigger players. He's really strong. Right. Uh, and to really slow down the Warriors, you've seen it with the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2016 and the Cavs in 2016. They had a lot of you know big players that could switch, and they would switch consistently. And Houston has really practiced that defensive style all season and really honed in, developed that skill. And that's exactly what you need to do against Golden State. Yeah, I think the Rockets have a shot this year, uh, which is crazy because I think two years ago I would have said no one's got a shot of beating the Warriors anytime soon. Right. And, yeah. Well, and a big factor will be how great Curry looks. If he's, you know, 100% himself, that's a whole different scenario than if he's 80% of himself. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing, and it's, it's exciting that, at least in one conference, I think the Cavs are still heavy, heavy favorites in the East. Right. But at least in one conference, what looked like at the beginning of the year, oh, it's definitely Cavs-Warriors again. Uh, you know, at least in the West, it's like, oh, you know what, like, Houston, I would say, has a 35 to 40 percent chance, um, you know, of winning this. And depending on how Curry looks, you know, that might tilt more towards 50 percent and make it a coin flip. Right. And that's Man. that's really exciting. That's when the playoffs are fun. Is when we get these epic, amazing seven-game series. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, we're going to continue to bring you more playoff coverage. Of course, this is the most exciting time of the year. Uh, to be an NBA fan, so look forward to that. I may even, uh, and maybe if uh, if Anthony is available on one of these Wednesdays, we might even do a live episode potentially and announce a game. Um, mm-hmm. That's just a thought. I and I may do that myself as well if uh, um, if you're not available one of these weeks. But uh, otherwise, we're going to continue to bring you weekly episodes talking about not only what has happened but what we are looking forward to and, and noticing as as the playoffs go on and. And another thing that's pretty as exciting is, you know, the playoffs last two months. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Right. We get, you know, for, you know, we can get eight to ten episodes and continue to talk about the same playoffs. It's yeah. going to be really fun. It is. Well, that should do it for this episode of Duncan Dynasty. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Woodwork prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.